Emergency care tailored specifically to the needs of the pediatric patient is a goal for the future. As currently, pediatric emergency care is lacking in so many areas. The Institute of Medicine, in its most recent report on emergency care for children, describes a national system where only about 6% of emergency departments have all of the supplies essential for handling pediatric emergencies. Other shortcomings involve poor provider training, undeveloped systems for response and care, and a paucity of research which is having a significant impact on the quality of care that children receive in our country's emergency rooms. Today we will discuss the flaws of emergency care for children and we will talk about new recommendations for creating a system that will meet the highest standards of care. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM, Channel 233. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Kansas City, Missouri, is my guest, Dr. Denise Dowd. She is Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and Chief of the Section of Injury Prevention of the Division of Emergency Medicine at the Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City. Dr. Dowd splits her time between clinical duties in the emergency department and research advocacy and program development in injury prevention for the hospital. Let's start with a discussion of the emergency care system in the U.S. More people than ever use the emergency room, not just for urgent and life-saving care. Millions of Americans who are uninsured use the ER for primary care services. Describe the impact that this has had on emergency departments. Well, uh, the latest IOM report really states it, and that the overall IOM report states it very clearly is that we are at a breaking point in emergency care in this country. Certainly that's been heightened by the attention to response to Hurricane Katrina and also subsequent to 911, the call for uh, organized systems uh, for preparing for disasters. If we had a major disaster in this country across the board, we could not handle it in our emergency department. It's just very simple. There's an increasing number of patients utilizing the emergency department and yet a statistically significant fall off in the number of emergency departments that are uh, even open over the last five years. Uh, many, many emergency departments have closed. And so we are at a breaking point, and this is the context that we got to kind of think about pediatric emergency care in. Right. And children differ from adults medically, and how do those differences play out in the emergency room? Oh, there's, there's so many differences with kids, both in terms of sort of how they react to stress. From a physiologic point of view, children are a lot better at sort of maintaining their blood pressure up to the very last minute, and then they go into uh, shock as measured by a decrease in blood pressure. They are more prone to become hypothermic. They um, have different airways, and so you know our, our techniques of securing an airway are, are different, and we act more quickly, I think, with kids. They have huge emotional uh, needs as well that really come into play. If you think about the injured child, just in terms of a simple assessment of that injured child, you have to take into consideration the fear and anxiety level a lot more. A two-year-old that's been hit by a car who comes in on a backboard in a collar who's screaming, um, is they, are they screaming because they're scared, um, because they're restrained in this whole thing that the paramedics use, or are they screaming because they're hurt? Um, then you add the parent factor in there as well, a scared parent. You have separation of the parent and the child, adding to the further anxiety and fear of the child. And so it's very different. Uh, the care, emergency care of children is very, very different. Very complex. Describe for us the current state of emergency care for children in the U.S. At best, it is uncoordinated and fragmented. At, at worst, it is in, in also in a crisis situation similar to what's going on among all emergency care provided. You mentioned that um, one of the sort of measurable things that we can 
uses, the number of emergency departments that are actually prepared equipment-wise for a pediatric uh, emergency. Six percent of all emergency departments in the country have those supplies, and only half of the, have all the supplies, and only half have 85 percent of the supplies. So that's just one small thing. Then we get to the people that are taking care of the kids in those settings. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we think about it, my specialty is pediatric emergency medicine, and I practice in a children's hospital. And in children's hospital, that's where you have all the pediatric subspecialists that can take care of sick and injured kids. Well, people like me, who have been trained in these programs and specialty care of emergency care of kids, the bulk of us, probably 95% of us, practice in children's hospitals. Well... The bulk of emergency care in this country for children, probably 95% of emergency care for kids, happens outside of children's hospitals. Most children never even see a children's hospital. So then there's this disconnect or gap between um, sort of where the expertise is and where the actual care is being delivered. Yes, you mentioned coordination of of services, and that's also a problem for the greater emergency care system. And goals for the entire emergency care system uh, include better coordination, regionalization, and accountability. But within each of those goals, there has to be consideration for pediatric concerns. How should the coordination of emergency services take pediatric patients into account? Well, first of all, they have to be considered, and it's hard to do that. And, and the coordination, number one, involves coordination of things that happen in the pre-hospital setting with the EMS, things that happen in the emergency department, and things that happen in the hospital. And then one could actually go on to rehabilitation as well. And traditionally, those things have been in silos, different data systems, different people. They, 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 the policies are developed within just those silos. They don't interact very much. And for kids, if you think about it, and let's take the pre-hospital care setting where things originate, only 10% of all pre-hospital care, meaning ambulance use, is pediatric. So what drives the system, both from a monetary point of view, policy point of view, and education point of view, is the adult side. I mean, that's really the weight of it. It's 90% of it. And so just by, number one, considering kids and considering pediatric protocols, I think will go pretty far. Paramedics and EMTs don't get the volume of pediatric transports to stay comfortable and to stay um, sharp in those skills. And so really you probably have to overrepresent your education with regard to pediatrics and reinforce it in a little bit more just because they don't get that type of training very often. A second area that's so important is regionalization, and it's kind of a categorization system. And here, how do they need to be sensitive to the pediatric population? Well, that's one of the things. This is a very hot-button issue, and, you know, um, as we're beginning to do research, we see that when you do regionalization, and one of the things that has been done with this, which is now mandated at most states, is trauma care that states designate by a certain set of very strict criteria which centers are considered the highest level of trauma care, level one, and level two is the next, and level three. Regionalization is necessary because there aren't enough resources to give all levels of care in all hospitals. You need access to subspecialists to do good trauma care, et cetera. So tight regionalization that works well is important. It's especially important with children even more because that's even a smaller population with more limited resources. Pediatric orthopedic surgeons, pediatric neurosurgeons are at a lot, uh, a much higher premium in terms of their availability than are those that treat adults. And it becomes incredibly important that you consider this when you're setting up emergency care services. 
it can be controversial as well because you know that is that is bread and butter stuff for folks you know um that's that's their business and it, with the expansion of technology MRIs and CT scanners that a lot of even places that don't have the capability to deliver the care are still doing diagnostic workups because they have MRIs because they have CT scans and so um they'll then transfer that patient on um, and maybe that timing of that transfer will not be adequate for good care of that child. If you were to ask the children be brought to hospitals that are designated as having pediatric capabilities, you'd be very limited, wouldn't you? Right. I mean, you have to. And when when these policies and systems are set up, they have to be set up in a tiered fashion so that recognizing that the bulk of emergency care of kids is going to happen in community hospitals close to where that child lives, and that is completely appropriate. So developing... Uh, criteria um, and policies and inner hospital transfer agreements that make sense for the people that need it while not sending the kids that really don't need it. That's the trick. Another thing that you're asking for is accountability then. Oh, yeah. Accountability, of course, is very important. And, you know, I think it's very common in the medical care system, because you see this played out day to day, is when there has been some potential mistake made in care or when there's been a delay in care or when something like that happens, the immediate human nature thing to do is to blame a person, is to blame this community doctor or or this emergency doctor when, in fact, what really is broken is the system. Mm-hmm. And if we were to set aside the greater emergency care system just for a moment and, and focus on pediatric emergency care, how ideally would the system be improved for children? Well, I think one of the most important things to do is to look at the available evidence that exists and create policies and procedures and way of doing our business that's actually based in evidence. Right now, variability in how emergency care is delivered is very great, even just in one institution type place, you know, whether that's diagnostics for fractures or whether it's how you rehydrate kids that are dehydrated, whether you use an IV or not very much a lack of, of basing our practice on evidence. And so establishing those quality indicators, if you would, with regard to basing our practice on evidence and then measuring um, all of the aspects of quality that are important, like efficiency, effectiveness, safety, um, and timeliness become very important. Yeah, without those things in place, it's very difficult to see how you're going to educate clinicians when you're not offering them standard practices, standard treatments for children because you don't know. Exactly. I mean, you have to kind of sing off the same playbook. Um, You know, people have to know that their practice is based on evidence. But, you know, if you think about medical education, really this whole notion of evidence-based education is relatively new. I mean, when I went to medical school in the 1980s, those weren't buzzwords for us. You know, we essentially went off the wisdom, very good wisdom, of our teachers and their opinions and their consensus, and that's how we practice medicine. But uh, like anything else, basing it on on published good evidence and measuring the result of using that is incredibly important when you're trying to do quality care. And you know that the way that it's been going for children in the ER system, it's not working. No, it's not working well. People are doing, I really believe people are doing the best with what they have. But if you think about emergency care, we are the, emergency care is the only federally mandated form of medical service or medical care it's the only one. It is the single mandated form. It's an unfunded mandate. We have this thing called EMTALA, and we have to see 
every single person that presents to us, at least in a medical screening way. And so that burden, that volume that follows from that has been increasing every single year, and that's a problem. That needs to get fixed. Americans really assume that the system will work for them when they need it. They do assume, and you know, should they assume? Well, I think we should have a, we are the wealthiest country on earth, and I think that that's something that we should expect, that we can respond in an emergency way to individual citizens, communities, especially if a disaster should strike, especially in this era of of worrying about terrorism, and we need to be able to respond. Other countries have amazing uh, ways of being potentially able to respond to disasters. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM233, the channel for today's medical professional. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Dr. Denise Dowd. She is professor of pediatrics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and chief of the section of injury prevention at the Division of Emergency Medicine at the Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.